professor of clinical sciences at Life University and previously the director of research, and he has dec two decades of clinical experience, but I would say generations of wisdom with inside of him, and you'll see that tonight up here on the stage. Uh, he is currently um, the editor of four chiropractic journals, so he knows what he's talking about when he says it. Says it. Um, Dr. Matthew McCoy is an incredible uh, asset to our profession. He is, uh, we're truly honored to have him here this weekend at Mile High. And for those of you who don't know him yet, you are about to be introduced to a chiropractic powerhouse. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Dr. Matthew McCoy. so far? Everything good so far? Any Monty Python fans in here? So now for something completely different. If I can see this. We're going to start off with, of all things, at a chiropractic uh, event, and a lesson in epidemiology. Okay, I want you all to participate along with me so that I understand who I'm talking to, and you understand who's in the room and, and what we believe, okay? So here are the questions. We're going to do a survey. Two questions by show of hands. The first question is, how many of you believe? And, and I want you to understand that I'm, I'm asking about beliefs. I'm, so I'm not asking you for evidence, okay? I'm not asking you to prove your answer. I'm just asking you if this is a belief that you hold, okay? How many of you believe that vertebral subluxations make people sick and kill them? Okay, now I'm gonna word it a little bit differently. I'm gonna word it in the language of public health, okay? And we'll just see if there's any difference because there's a few hands didn't go up so maybe people don't like that terminology, right? So how many of you believe that vertebral subluxations lead to increased morbidity and mortality? I believe that, okay? So there's a couple more hands that went up. Same question, right? But it sounds so much better when you say it the second way, right? So that's the first question. The second survey question is, how many of you believe that vertebral subluxations are an epidemic on this planet or a pandemic on this planet? How many of you believe that? Okay, so pretty much everybody, right? So I want you to understand a couple of things, all right? I am uh, classically trained as a chiropractor. I'm also trained in public health. I have a master's in public health from uh, one of the top 10 public health institutions on this planet, okay? So <clears throat> that was a discussion of epidemiology right there, okay, in terms of what you believe about the nature and characteristics of vertebral subluxation. We need to understand as a profession that we are crazy people because of what we just profess. And the reason we're crazy people because of what we just profess is because in terms of evidence, we do not have evidence for those two things. But a room full of chiropractors, and everywhere that I speak, rooms that I speak to, chiropractors always believe this. We always raise our hands to this. Yes, we believe subluxations make people sick and kill them, and we believe everybody's got them, but where is the evidence for this? Okay? This is a crucial question that our profession is faced with and needs to answer. 
The days of accountability in healthcare is here. There's absolutely no ifs, ands, or buts about it that we have to answer these questions, and we have an ethical and moral responsibility to answer these questions. So <clears throat> what has happened? Why is it that we didn't end up uh, with this evidence? What happened to our profession? What has happened in the past? These are previous and current strategies from the leadership in our profession. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm speaking with authority on this because I grew up in this profession. Okay? I grew up around the straight faction of chiropractic from a very young age. And if we look at what this profession has done in the past, look at the marketing that this profession has engaged in in order to, to tip the scales, right? One spine at a time. Tell the story. The hundredth monkey. Right? I mean, we have an entire profession pinning our hopes and our futures on whether or not monkeys wash their fruit. That's not a strategy for the future of this profession. Okay? Some of you know the 100th monkey story. Free chicken dinners and scare care. Right? Scare care works outside of chiropractic. Scare care works in allopathy because they have, a cult they have cultural authority. Our profession does not have cultural authority, so we, we operate from a different place on this. And then if you look at politics and how the leadership of this profession has run its politics, the mantra has been, as long as I've been involved in politics in this profession, is, oh, we're going to change them from within, Matt. Don't worry about it. The reason why we participate in those meetings isn't because we agree with them. The reason we participate is because you've got to have a seat at the table or you're on the menu. Nonsense. Utter nonsense. And then in terms of research, the plan for research in this profession over the past 30, 40 years has been let's get our foot in the door of back pain research because, you know, nine out of ten people are going to have back pain, so we might as well be the ones that they go through for that. So that's been the plan. That's our previous and current strategies for, for supposedly this, this thing called a subluxation that makes people sick, kills them, and everybody on the planet's got it. That's the plan to, to deal with this, right? <laughs> Dr. Phil wants to know how that's working out for us, right? I'll tell you how it's working out for us. You know, I, I get to see a lot of the seedy underside of the profession because of the work that I do in malpractice and politics and all this other stuff. Okay? And I'm telling you something right now. I could do 15 hours on the fact that subluxation, subluxation-based care, the location analysis and correction of vertebral subluxation is being painted out there as a fraud being perpetrated on society. And they're using quotes from our leaders, from leaders of our chiropractic colleges and our chiropractic organizations to support the, that, that stance that it's a fraud. We have people around the world signing these anti-subluxation position statements. Europe, Australia, the United States. We have people that control state boards that believe this way. And you guys know this with the history in Colorado, so I don't need to talk to you about that, right? How's it working out for us? Enrollment. Here's enrollment from uh, 1995 to 2013 in chiropractic colleges. We have a problem. We have less people becoming chiropractors. And more and more people retiring and dying off. The majority of people practicing in this profession in a short period of time will have only been in practice 10 years or less. That is a problem for the future of this profession. Utilization is down. Right? We used to brag, oh, we got 
But we don't have 10% of the profession anymore, okay, or, or the population anymore. Utilization down, less people becoming chiropractors, less people using chiropractors. And I need to say something, okay? I'm not talking about you as an individual, okay? I understand there's plenty of successful people in this room that take care of a lot of people and change a lot of lives. Well, that's great. I'm not talking about you, all right? There are other people that are not as successful and don't know what they need to know in order to save these people that they talk about wanting to save. You know, when you talk about change strategies, is that, that's really what, I, what I'm focusing on here. As far as I'm concerned, the strategic competitive advantage of this profession is the location analysis and correction of vertebral subluxation. That is our unique, that is what makes us unique. And for anybody that's doing anything else out there, you know, I joke about it all the time. I got a biomat that I wrap myself in at home. Okay? That was a joke, I know. Probably stepped on some toes. And I'll apologize ahead of time if I didn't already, because I'm sure that I'm going to piss somebody off by something I say uh, in the short period of time that I'm up here. But our strategic competitive advantage is location analysis and correction of vertebral subluxation. And that strategic competitive advantage has to be told and nurtured and pushed forward into our society through marketing, through politics, and through research. This is our professional responsibility that we have. I'm not going to talk much about marketing, but there's somebody here tonight you're going to hear from tonight, Mark Swordlick. He's got the answer to the marketing piece. We should listen to him as a profession. You know, when I went through uh, Emory's public health program, I was taught a lot about public health marketing. We became experts in public health marketing. And then I met Mark, and I, and I began to understand that that only works if you have cultural authority. And we don't have that as a profession, because our leadership has been asleep at the switch for too long a period of time. Relative to politics, where are we? The chiropractic cartel that you saw on the screen, Glad I'm not the only one that's going to bring up that term tonight. The chiropractic cartel controls the educational licensing and regulatory functions of the entire chiropractic profession. And I'm going to tell you something. This whole drug issue, it's a red herring. Drugs are not the issue. Primary care is the issue. Our chiropractic colleges are mandated by the accrediting association that controls this profession to train primary care providers. If you understand that there's a difference between portal of entry and primary care, then you know what I'm talking about. You do not want the responsibility of a primary care provider, and anybody that's been a student of mine knows exactly what I'm talking about. There is a big difference. The real issue is primary care, not drugs. Because you understand if you're going to be a primary care provider, then you need to be able to prescribe drugs. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And relative to research, where do we find ourselves in this profession? We've got two possibilities. You're either in the camp that's apathetic about research, you just don't care, right? And that's the majority of the profession. Or you're in the subluxation faction of the profession that not only doesn't care about research, actually has a disdain for research. Just doesn't say, well, I don't really care about research. The subluxation faction of the profession says, we don't need no stinking research. The proof is in the pudding. 
Look, if my patients get better, it must work. Without any concept of a bigger picture and getting this message to the masses and what understanding the epidemiology of vertebral subluxation can do for us. And then you hear nonsense like this. Well, chiropractors can't agree on the definition of vertebral subluxation. Can I use some salty language? Bullshit. Okay? There is actually widespread agreement on definitions of vertebral subluxation. Common to every model of vertebral subluxation out there in the scientific literature are two components. A biomechanical component and a neurological component, period. So there's widespread agreement on definitions of vertebral subluxation. But we do have a problem, okay? And I'm going to tell you right now what the problem is when it comes to science and research in this profession. It boils down to what I call the so what question. There's a series of four or five of them. And after every question, the detractors in the profession or anybody with the ability to think critically would say, yeah, well, so what? And then they come up with the next question. The first one is if subluxations exist, because you understand there are people out there within our profession, never mind outside the profession, who say subluxations don't even exist. So let's get past that hurdle for a second and just assume that they do exist. That some clinical entity of some significance actually exists that we manage in our practices day in and day out. And so the detractors say, if subluxations exist, what evidence do you have that you can objectively identify them using valid and reliable means? This is incredibly important. And I have some good news for you. We do have some tools that are valid and reliable have been shown through scientific research to be such. Things like surface EMG and heart rate variability and thermal scanning and x-ray and video fluoroscopy and somatosensory evoke potentials. I could go on. There are numerous valid, objective, and reliable measures to measure components of the vertebral subluxation. Okay? So we've got some headway on this one. But if we answer, if we say that to our detractors, they say, well, so what? If subluxations exist and can be identified, what evidence do you have that their existence leads to adverse health outcomes? Now, here's where the wheels start to wobble on the wagon, right? The front uh, drive, uh, passenger side wheel is starting to get a little wobble to it here. Okay? Because if that subluxation is not tied to a health concern or a health outcome or improved function, then we have an issue. What's the point? Why would I get this thing corrected? And if we do start to have some evidence that subluxation is tied to, or reduction of subluxation is tied to uh, adverse health outcomes, the next question is, do you have evidence that this existence leads to adverse health outcomes? What evidence do you have that you can actually correct them? Can you actually correct a subluxation, move it from point A to point B, or change the neurology, or change the biomechanics? This is where we're really in the weeds at this point. We don't have this kind of data beyond single case studies and some small clinical studies. You know, the largest study ever conducted in the history of the chiropractic profession was conducted and paid for by NSA, right? Dr. Donnie Epstein. The largest study ever conducted in the history of the profession. 2,800 subjects in that study. Nothing that big has been done since, and that was done back in the 90s, early 90s. How pathetic for a group of people that are so fired up about what we do. We fell asleep at the switch with this. 
And finally, they say, if you have evidence that we can correct them, what evidence do you have that correcting them leads to improved health outcomes? Because, so, if you can find a subluxation and you can reduce it, but it makes no difference in that person's life, why should anybody pay for that care? Forget the government paying for it. Why should a patient take money out of their pocket that could go to food on their table and pay for something you have no evidence that it has a beneficial effect for in the scientific literature? We have a serious problem when it comes to this. The issue here, though, isn't whether or not the technical means exist to solve the problem, because the technical means do exist to solve the problem. We're in the age of big data. The technical means exist. We have the, uh, uh, in the, we have the advent of the internet. We have the ability to manipulate large databases of information. And we have, the, have advanced statistical methods to analyze this data that we get. Anybody in here heard of Edward Snowden? I mean, we can listen in on the phone calls of Angela Merkel. Certainly, we can figure something out about subluxation, right? But the will of the profession is missing. The technical means exist. The will of the profession is missing. It's apathetic across the board. And within the subluxation-based faction of the profession, there is disdain for it. I'm the vice president of the Foundation for Vertebral Subluxation. Dr. Chris Kent in the back of the room is the president. <laughs> Dr. Kent, one of the, not one of the, probably the smartest person I've ever met. You know, people say, oh, Chris is a genius. Chris is smart. No, Chris is a savant. Okay? Listen to what he says. So we put together a research agenda for the profession. We've spelled it out in detail. We put together an this thing called an Advancing Futures Program, research and scholarship program to help fund it. We partnered with uh, Cairo Futures Malpractice Program and the ICPA and the foundation so far. We're looking for other people to join in and help us with this. It's a 20-year plan. The more people that get involved, the more people that support it now, the faster we're going to realize this dream. You know, I did the rocking chair test a few years ago. I think Chris and I did it at the same time. And we look back, you know, and realize that there's more of our life in the rearview mirror than there is in the windshield, you know? And what is our legacy going to be? What have we accomplished? What have we actually done since we, in the 25 years, right? What can we show for it? And so that's where this uh, Advancing Futures program uh, came from. I'm sitting on that rocking chair on that porch and thinking about our lives and hoping that we're not 85, 90 years old and looking back and having regrets on this. So this research agenda, it's a 20-year plan. It centers on five areas, including operational models of vertebral subluxation, looking into measurement of models of vertebral subluxation, the epidemiology of vertebral subluxation. You know, I asked you all, do you think it's epidemic? Do you think it's pandemic? You raise your hand. We don't have a single bit of evidence to support that statement. And in fact, in epidemiology, if everybody has it, that's really questionable, right? I mean, you're telling me you've never checked somebody that wasn't subluxated? That can't be, okay? So looking at epidemiology, clinical strategies. Do we have a responsibility, an ethical and moral responsibility as a profession to know which techniques work better? Uh, you know, and there it is, right? I'm surprised somebody didn't shoot me. Just say, uttering those words, right? Because what do we hear? Well, all techniques work. Oh, really? 
And it's just how do you know that? Exactly how do you know all techniques work? Where is the evidence for that? Because that's what you experience in your practice? You know, if medicine did this and made statements like this, we'd have our pitchforks and torches in hand and be storming the castle. But when chiropractors utter this kind of nonsense, it's okay. We give each other a pass. It's got to stop. The future of this profession depends on us stopping that kind of nonsense. You know, this isn't rocket science. This plan we put together, it really isn't. It's really pretty basic, pretty straightforward, okay? Answers some basic fundamental questions that need to be answered that nobody has tackled yet. It's not rocket science. Here's rocket science, right? Talk about the technical means exist. That's a selfie. Where's Liam? Is he in the room? That's a selfie of the Mars rover on Mars right now. You hear me? We have a remote control spaceship that we sent to the planet Mars, and it's taking pictures of itself and analyzing the soil and sending pictures back to us and, and, and reports back to us. It just found methane on this planet. That's rocket science, right? Here's rocket science. That's Pluto, right? We sent a rocket to Pluto to pass by, to pass between one of its moons and the planets. Pluto is at the edge of the solar system. You got it? Now, I guarantee you NASA didn't form a, a prayer circle to get that rocket to Pluto. It used math and physics. You with me? Here's one, and if, look, if you're not impressed yet with what we can do technically, this is a comet that we landed a spaceship on, a moving comet. The spaceship's called Rosetta, right? I mean, can you imagine? How is that possible? This thing's the size of a washing machine, and we lined it up with a moving comet to study this thing, and it's sending information back to us, right? Not impressed yet? What about Voyager 1? Voyager 1 just left the freaking solar system. You got me? Okay? It left. It's gone. It's leaving the solar system, and we are communicating with it while it's doing that. And we, we can't solve the problems of vertebral subluxation. <laughs> Give me a break, right? And here's one more, if that's not enough for you, right? Here we go. Asteroid RQ-36. We haven't landed on it yet, but we're building the rocket and making the plans to do it, right? This is an asteroid that we're going to land on. Why are we going to land on this asteroid? Well, because this asteroid is in an Earth trajectory and may hit us in 2091, okay? Anybody here gonna be alive in 2091? Anybody on this planet that's alive right now gonna be alive in 2091? No. And why? The Dark Lord is gonna be alive. 
then why are we going to this asteroid? Because we need to figure out if it is going to hit us, what it's made of, and how we can stop it from hitting us. Okay? And, and you know, the, the, we had to figure out, and I'm not going to get this right, but we had to figure out this thing's orbit. And in order to do that, we had to figure out this thing called the Yarkovsky effect. And the Yarkovsky effect has something to do with when the sunlight hits this asteroid, how this sunlight affects this thing's orbit around the sun. Well, the Yarkovsky effect is less than an ounce. And we measured it. You understand? From an asteroid that's out there in deep space. So that maybe we can stop this thing from hitting us in 2091. You know, that's some long-term planning for you, right? What is our profession doing? What's the long-term planning of this profession? Have a seat at the table. Change them from within. Continue to feed the cartel and the control that this cartel has. Continue to compromise with these people that are destroying the profession. Continue to give in to them. Continue to give. Oh, I had somebody, a president of a chiropractic college, tell me not too long ago, well, you got to give a little to get a little. No, I don't. And we know we shouldn't. Right? We need some drastic change in this profession. And I got some news for the, the young crowd in this profession. Because at this point, I'm an old timer. Right? How much time do I really have left to affect change in this profession? For, for seriously. Right? Understand that the burdens that I'm talking about are on you. Because during the Mercedes 80s, when all this stuff could have been dealt with, what were all the chiropractic leaders doing? Getting drunk off easy insurance money. That's what they were doing, right? And now we wake up, it's like the night after a big frat party, right? We walk in, you're like, what the hell happened here? What are you guys doing? Pink flamingos and the lawn and everything, right? Katy Perry singing. Long-term planning. One of my uh, chiropractic heroes, or Fred, it was Fred Barge, is still Fred Barge. I, I, I had the distinct pleasure, you know, and I know there's probably people around here who met BJ and, you know, spent time with him, and, but I didn't get to do that. I did get to spend a little time with Fred and smoke a few cigars and have a few libations. And I don't know, if, you've never, if you didn't have the opportunity to do that, I got to tell you, it's one, some of the greatest memories of my life. Fred gave me some advice even when I, I, I spent a couple of years in Russia and he talked to me about mission trips and his opinion about those kind of things as well. So I got a lot of good advice from Fred. You know, he said, a great profession can only be sustained through the authentic transmission of its principles from generation to generation. How true of a statement is that? Fred also said something else. You know, the title of the slide here, War Horses. He wrote an article, he said, where are the new war horses, right? These horses that are trained for battle. Where are they in the chiropractic profession? Are they up and coming in the ranks? I got to tell you something. I, I really hope and I pray that the new war horses are right here in this room in Colorado, a mile high this weekend. Thank you. Good night. Have a great weekend. Love and appreciate all of you.